But we're in Philippians chapter 3. And, and let me say this. Can I, let me preface this whole, these 11 verses with this right here has two sections to it. And you would call that the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's key words being old and new. But the word that I would introduce to you, and most of you that have come here on a regular basis know that I'm going to say the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. The Testament is the story, but the big difference is the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. And the Old Covenant was with the Jews, with the Hebrew people, and it was God's law. He said, do these things. I'll spell it out for you. The Ten Commandments, the 613 laws in Leviticus. I'll spell it out for you. This is the way that you behave. And if you do this, I'll bless you. If you don't, well, you're going to have punishment. You will be disciplined. Well, that went on for years, years and years. And finally, Jesus came and said, okay, we've proven that you, you can't do this. You as much as you've tried, you, you can't do this. And so now I've done it, and I've done it perfectly. Jesus did the law perfectly. And he was the only perfect sacrifice for all those who couldn't do it. That's including you. He was the sacrifice. His blood was poured out. He died. He was buried. He rose again. And he ascended to heaven. And there they sent the Spirit to live in those that believe in Jesus. And now there's this Spirit that's living inside of the believers, those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And at that point, a new covenant started. He's like, you've proven in the old covenant that this doesn't work. You've, you've proven that. And now there's this new covenant that says, let my spirit do it inside of you. In Hebrews, the Bible, it says, when the new came along, it made the old obsolete. Obsolete. Like, if we're going to listen to anything now, it needs to be the new. Now, Listen to what I just said, because some of you go, well, that means that we don't have to read the Old Testament. No, I read the Old Testament, and I study the Old Testament, and I teach the Old Testament because it tells me about who God is. I learn about my Lord. But I live out of this new covenant. I, I try to live out of this new covenant every day, and I'm learning more about Jesus and allowing him to live through me. Because there was a point in my life where I did things in my own strength and it was natural for me to do that. I came to know Jesus. He put a new heart in me. And now I'm learning to live out of that new creation, that new person. Sometimes I still fail. I still fail. But I'm learning to walk as a new covenant believer. Now, that takes us to where we are in Philippians chapter 3, the preface. Verse 1, it says, In addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice. Remember that we have been rejoicing throughout this whole book, this whole letter of Philippians. He says, rejoice. And again, 
It's not an emotion or a feeling of being happy. It's literally this joy that resides inside of us that is produced by the Spirit inside of us. I'm not responsible for producing joy. It's the Spirit that lives in me that produces that joy. He says, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me and is a safeguard for you. I'm going to repeat myself over and over and over and over again about who you are in Christ. I'm going to remind you about the grace of God. I'm going to remind you about the goodness of God. Because why? You need to hear it again. You need to hear it again and again and again. We're prone to forget uh, who Jesus is and what he has done in our lives, even when we walk out of here. Like I can say it over and over and over, but when you walk out of here, it's all of a sudden you get distracted by the world and the things, and we're just going to keep waving this banner in here, keep waving this banner in here. God is good. He loves you. He cares about you. There's grace. We don't see you for what you do. We don't see you for what you do. We see you for who you are. That's hard. <laughs> just admit it, it's hard. And so I, we will remind each other. That's why we come together. We remind each other that's what we do. It's not about our behavior. It's about who we are. People will question me about people's behavior in here all the time, and I'm like, why don't you just sit down and have lunch with them and find out where their heart is? Why don't you just ask them where their heart is? It's basically what we're supposed to do. It's not about what they do. It's about where their heart is. There's this conflict that Paul has been involved with for many years. And this is what he's saying. He's like, I, I'm going to tell you because... I'm struggling here. There were other religious people who were continually undermining Paul's ministry. Like, from day one, when Paul began to like teach grace and identity, there were those that were opposed to him. Critics, enemies, opposition from pastors, from elders. It even happens today. <laughs> happens today. My theology gets questioned all the time. Paul rebuked these religious people who led people astray. Now watch what he says. And then he gets kind of vicious here. He says, watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the dogs, the religious people. <laughs> it's kind of funny because Paul was a Pharisee. He was one of the religious people. And he called the Gentiles dogs all the time like the gentiles were known for being the dogs of the world and now his ministry is to the gentiles and he's calling what he used to be a pharisee a dog he sees it totally different he says watch out for the dogs watch out for the evil workers he's literally calling them evil workers these men that that taught that the sinner was saved by faith plus good works especially the works of the law. If you have men that are teaching you to do good works, he's calling that evil. I mean, 
most of us in here grew up hearing that, right? Do good works, do good works, do good works. But Paul's like, watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. Call them the happy knife cutters. They're the people that like went around saying in Paul's time, hey, you need to be circumcised. If you if you want to have a right relationship with God, you need to be circumcised. He says, verse 3, for we are the circumcision. Like we in this room, it's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual thing. Like if you're, they're going around telling people with these knives and they're literally mutilating men. He, he, said, he uses that word mutilate. Saying you need to be like us. Because that's what God said. Well, that was in Genesis chapter 17, which would be what? The old covenant. The old covenant. In the new covenant, it's not necessary to be circumcised. And so he's literally saying they're wasting their time. For we are the circumcision, the ones who worship by the Spirit of God, boast in Christ Jesus, and do not put confidence in the flesh. Their good works are actually evil works. Why are they evil? Because they are performed by the flesh, by their own strength, just like it was in the Old Covenant. It's the exact same thing. He's like, it's not about you doing something. It's about Jesus doing something in you. There is a big difference between Christians and religious people. Part of it is just an understanding. Some of it may be the joy that we talked about. And then even as we talked about in the last couple of weeks, there's just this certain humility about it. But he's literally comparing them to dogs, dogs that are violent, that have a mean bark and bite and scary, definitely not domesticated at the time. And he's saying this. This is what he's saying. God hates religion. I'm not a religious person. I probably once considered myself a religious person, but I'm not a religious person. Because I sat there and went through the Gospels, and the whole time, Jesus is in conflict with the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Those that are enforcing the Old Covenant and have added more to it. Jesus plus anything ruins everything. It's Jesus and nothing else. I don't know if I can express that any clearer. So the whole circumcision thing where we talked about is Genesis 17. That was the circumcision. It was the seal that they received as Jews that a covenant was made between God and Abraham. And today, in the new covenant, we don't have to worry about temples. We don't have to worry about priests. 
We don't have to worry about sacrifices. It's just not needed today. Those are just some examples of what the religious people had. Richard Halverson writes, When the Greeks got the gospel, they turned it into philosophy. When the Romans got it, they turned it into a government. When the Europeans got it, they turned it into a culture. And when the Americans got it, they turned it into a business. It's a business. It becomes a machine. I was part of it. I understood it. I knew how to play the game. I was taught, I went to school and got educated on how to play the game. The, the actual DNA of the church, that would be the body of believers that believe in Jesus, produces really certain identifiable features. One, and I say this is top level, it's the centrality that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he's the Messiah. That's it. That's foundation. That's like level one. And then there's this innate desire, this deep-seated desire to have relationships with those that think alike. That happens in here, that they want to be together, that we want to challenge each other in our discussions, in our learnings, in our understandings, and we get together and have fellowship and just hang out together. There's this authentic community. I, I don't think we're better than anybody else. I don't. Uh, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in me, and if I go down the street, it's the same spirit there. It's about living a different life. It's about understanding who you are and the identity. There's this family love and devotion to one another, just as you presented about your son, Adam. That if he can figure that out, that he's loved, even though he's not here. And there's this desire just to, to gather, to get together. If you really think it's about my teaching, if you think it's about this right here, it's not. I'm glad to be able to do this. I'm happy to be able to do this. I hope you learn from what I do, what I say. But really, it's about just being together. It's coming in here and just hugging on each other and talking and catching up and seeing what the Lord's doing during the week. And then the last characteristic is just this it's this impulse, this loving impulse that sits inside of me, that resides in me to display Jesus in a fallen world, to be the light. I was just talking to the, the chef back here. I'm like, Farron, today, today, just serve Jesus. Don't, don't think it's about serving your employer or the people that show up. Just serve Jesus. And let the light shine from that kitchen right there. Verse 4, it says, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul was always saying that. 
Like, if there's any sinner in the world, I was the worst of them all when he was a sinner, before he knew Jesus, when he was a Pharisee, when he was religious. That's what he was referring to. But now he's like saying, if anyone else thinks he has ground for confidence flesh, <laughs> I've got more. You can't beat me. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Like, everybody knew that Benjamin was one of Jacob's favorite sons. It was like the tribe to come from. A Hebrew born of Hebrews regarding the law, a Pharisee. I was a Pharisee, not too many Pharisees. He, most rule-keeping, devoted religious people of the day knew that Paul was up there on this pedestal. Jesus, Jesus even pointed out that when they tithe, they even tithe from their spice racks. That's how religious they were. He says, regarding zeal, persecuting the church, regarding the righteousness that is in the law, blameless. Like, I live the law. I did it. No one could find blame on me, Paul's saying. <laughs> you realize there's the Ten Commandments, there's 613 laws, and Paul's like saying he's blameless. He says, but everything that was gained to me I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. This is where Paul is like auditing his own life. Everything that I've done, this, 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 bankrupt. Bankrupt. Nothing. He's got nothing. He did, he lived his life thinking it was perfect, thinking that it was blameless, and he had nothing. Verse 8, it says, More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung. <laughs> you ever look at the word dung? It's like, Let's be nice about it. Let's be garbage, refuse, filth, dog dung. Do I need to say anything else? Turds. This is what he, his, his former life was. He's considering it rubbish, garbage. Isaiah uh, 64, 6 says, And all our righteousness acts are like filthy rags. Yesterday I was in my office at my home. A lot of you have been in there, but it was just getting overwhelmed with stuff, and I just started, like, cleaning stuff out. I brought a bunch of it here back over there. You can take whatever you want. There's shirts back there. There's gadgets back there. Just take whatever you want. But I literally just started clean, cleaning things out, the things that I once thought was valuable. Now is nothing but junk to me. So if you want my junk, you're welcome to have it. Otherwise... It's going into the trash. But literally, this is what Paul's saying. And then he says this, he says this, so that I may gain Christ. <laughs> really? So that 
Everything's loss, and the reason it's loss is that I may gain Christ. Paul literally has to say, I'm losing my religion so that I can gain my salvation. That's what he's doing. Because religion is about what I do, and the gospel is about what Jesus has already done. That's it. My salvation was not anything that I did other than believing in what Jesus has done for me. That's it. I have salvation. I don't have to come to pinheads. I don't have to go to church. I don't have to pray. I don't even have to be good because I believed. But the more I know him and the more I learn about my identity and who I am in him, the more I desire to do good. My want to changes. And it's still changing to this day. I'm still learning about him. I'm still growing. I am still a process. Even though I tell you, in my soul, in my spirit, I'm perfect. I'm holy. I'm righteous. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. And that's how I want you to see me. Religion will trust in my works, but the gospel really teaches us to trust in Jesus' works. You know when Jesus was here, he did a lot of miracles. We could sit here and go through the miracles. They're in the back of your Bibles, most of you. And Jesus said, I didn't do those. Well, yeah, it says Jesus did them. No, Jesus says, what you saw me do wasn't me doing it. It was the Father doing it through me. And he literally came here to model for us how to be a servant. And the good things that we do, it, look, if, if it's me doing it, you're in trouble. If it's the Lord doing it through me, there's a better chance. Like, Keith sent me this thing last night, this text last night about, uh, what was it, some chicken, the Holy Spirit's like a chicken running around? Oh, oh, wow. It's like a wild, go- wild goose running around. I can't remember what it was. I was watching football. He's sending me religious things, <laughs> spiritual things. He said, uh, the sp- having the spirit in you is like, like a wild goose. It's just like running around because, honestly, you have no idea what adventure you're in for. And the day I walked out of religion, I had no idea what I was in for. And you ask me what my goal is today, my goal today is to walk by the Spirit. Ask me what my five-year plan is, my 10-year plan is, when we're building a building, I'm just walking by the Spirit. It's the adventure. It's the wild goose chase. It's incredible. Religion kind of leads to this pride or even some some types of despair. I can do it or I can't do it. And I honestly believe just walking by the Spirit, uh, again, leads you to humbleness and joy. I say all the time, I do not understand my life. I do not understand my life. 
understand why I get to do the things that I do. I don't understand the friends that I have. I don't understand the things that I have. I don't understand it. Doesn't make sense to me. And probably about 20 years ago, I would have said I could explain everything. And I kept praying, Lord, I don't want to be able to explain anything. If I can explain it, then I did it. If I can't explain it, I'm trusting that you're doing it. Now watch this. There's there's hard religion and there's soft religion. The hard religion is tells you to like clean up your act. Religious people take things out of the Bible and they add their own rules to them. And we get this all the time, especially in messages and stuff like that. Here's ten ways to do this, and they pull in scripture out and everything else, and they they, they give you rules of how to live your life. If you want to be a good person, this is how you live your life. And these like self-righteous rules restrict really the joy that Jesus intended. And then there's the soft religion. It's like, oh, you know, you vote and the golden rule, be nice to animals, do things for others, fight poverty. And if you're still doing that in your own strength, it's still religion. Everyone has religion and is building their resumes. Everyone wants to be righteous. But the question is, is will you pursue religion through Jesus? All religions tell us how to become righteous. Buddhism, to be righteous, you cease all desires. Confucianism, You pursue education, reflection, and lead a moral life. Hinduism. You detach yourself from your ego and live in unity with the divine. Judaism. You obey God's law. The New Age. You should see yourself as connected with the oneness and live in perfect harmony with creation. Taoism. You should line yourself with Tao and go with the flow. Islam. You should live a moral life, do good deeds, and stand before Allah in the end. And if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, and Allah so wills it, you shall be declared righteous. Every single religion, both hard and soft, tells us that on our resume should be listed all these things that have done that you've done to be declared righteous. Paul's saying that has nothing to do with it. Is purely Jesus. That's it. For those of you that are working, working hard at your faith and doing things because you think it's the right thing, just stop. <laughs> Story. A lady was arguing with her pastor one day, and she said this, I think getting to heaven is like rowing a boat, she said. One or is faith, and the other is works. If you use both, you get there. If you use only one, you go around in circles. And the pastor said to her, there's only one thing wrong with your illustration. Nobody's going to heaven in a rowboat. 
You see, works coincides with faith, but it's not me doing the works. They just happen naturally. The more I understand who I am and my identity, it's natural. Verse 9, it says, And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law. He's literally preaching new covenant now. Not having a righteousness of my own of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. In seminary, you learned this word justification. God demands perfection. And there's only one way that you can become perfect. Jesus. Jesus. There's only one way you become perfect. Two words on my resume. Jesus Christ. That's it. That's all I need. I've been declared righteous because of my faith in Jesus. It is gift righteousness. And then he says in verse 10 and 11, my goal is to know him my goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So literally now he's talking about sanctification. Everything changes. It has changed and it continues to change. I'm still learning. I'm still processing. I have a new nature. I have new desires. I have new power. I have a new passion. A life that results in that passion, purpose, and joy. The joy comes from Him. Religion cannot compare to this. It's tax season, and you're collecting your forms. You will do your own personal financial audit. But the question I leave you with today, what if you audit the things you do this week? Is it in your strength, or is it in his strength? Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us wisdom, that you would cause us to know you more this week, that you would teach us what it means to do things in your strength rather than our own, that it would be visible, that we can see it clearly, and that we just enjoy you this week. Thank you for freeing us from religion. Continue to do that. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.